Thanks for the applause. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, so today we're going to be looking at a story. Um, there are parts of the Bible that are command oriented. There are parts of the Bible that are sort of letters. This is a story. We're going to be looking at a story in the Bible, and this story is going to draw you in. Even though the story is ancient, there are things that go on in this story that don't happen anymore today. There are things that happen in this story that actually do happen, though, also. It's going to feel relatable. Um, it's from the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to walk through the story verse by verse. We're going to hear the story and then talk about what it means and how it applies to us. Okay, the story is about a man named Naaman. Um, it's 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. So the verses we're going to look at as we see them, we're going to see them off the screen too. There's a place in the bulletin if you want to write some things down to take notes, you can do that as well. It says, Naaman commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but so this is the guy that you want to be. Okay, this is the guy that you wish you were. You want his life. He's got incredible success. He's got fame. He's got career success. He's got power. He is the commander of the army of Syria. And Syria at that time was the world power. And so you're thinking like the commander of the most powerful nation on earth at the time. Everything is great for Naaman, except for that last word, <laughs> the word but. Um, there's always a but in life, isn't there? Right? You feel that? You're like, well, yeah, things are great, but. Um, so the rest of the verse tells us, uh, but he was a leper. He was a leper. Um, here are just some photos, not to be too graphic, but I want you to see uh, leprosy is not, in the Bible when it's talked about, it's, it's a skin disease that's a lot like psoriasis. Um, and symptoms include flaking skin, discoloration of bodily hair around where the, the infliction is, and it would cause skin to break, creating open wounds. Um, and, and worse, though, than the physical symptoms of leprosy was the social effects of it. Because it was contagious, lepers were ostracized from the community. And so Naaman, this incredibly successful person, could not enjoy his success. Leprosy made his success empty. Um, it kind of reminds me of Caroline's story. There was something missing, right? There was something wrong that kept her from enjoying life. Um, and leprosy in the Bible is also a physical condition that's used to illustrate a spiritual condition. And so if you feel like you're missing something, like you can't enjoy life, or you just don't have lasting peace, then you realize, the way that Caroline did, the way that Naaman did, that life can't satisfy. Life cannot satisfy. There's always something missing. And so next, we're introduced to a second character in the story. We've seen the commander, now we're going to see the slave girl. Verse 2. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. So the slave girl is the complete opposite of Naaman. She had no success, right? She was kidnapped in war, stolen from her land, probably raped and abused. Um, 
made to serve Naaman's wife probably also means that she would have been a mistress for Naaman. Um, so no power, no rights. And in this story, she doesn't even have a name. She's a nobody, literally a no one. And so if you don't identify with Naaman in this story, you might feel closer uh, affection to the slave girl. Um, and it's her situation that makes her response to Naaman's leprosy so extraordinary. Okay, this is verse three. She said to her mistress, and this is Naaman's wife, would that my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. I mean, this is extraordinary. Samaria was in the land of Israel, the girl's homeland. And so after all that this girl has been through, after all that has been done to her, this is her response. Man, she wants to help and bless her slave master. She wants him to be healed. She says, I wish you were back in my homeland because there's a prophet there who would cure you. Extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, she's not looking for revenge. She's looking to bless others, even her enemies. This is a girl who has been touched by the love of God. This is a girl who's been transformed. God's love is a love that when you receive it, it moves you to share it with others, even your enemies. This girl knows that when you know, when you know that you don't deserve God's love, then others don't have to deserve it to get it from you. Okay? When you know that you don't deserve God's love, then others don't have to deserve it to get it from you. Generate Hope is a ministry that was started out of our church eight years ago. It was founded by Susan Muncie, and last night she spoke at the fundraising gala, or gala, um, and she said this. She said, why was Generate Hope started? Generate Hope was started because I was sexually trafficked at age 16, and God does not waste anything. God does not waste anything. This girl has experienced that God is now able to use her even in the situation where she finds herself. And so the story continues, verse four. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, this is the king of Syria now, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver. A talent was 75 pounds. This is a huge amount of silver, lots and lots of wealth. 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Bloomingdale's, Neiman Marcus, I don't know, maybe to get up there. So the king of Syria sends him with gifts for the king of Israel. Verse 6, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? to kill and to make alive? That this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see, oh, how he's seeking to make a quarrel with me. 
So this is language that's been sort of lightened down, but this is the king of Israel. Gosh, what's the appropriate way to say this? Very nervous uh, to the point where maybe he's having some looseness in his bowels. Do you understand? The king is literally having a fit. He's terrified. He thinks that what's happened is that the Syrian army that had already conquered Israel once is now giving this impossible command just so that the king of Syria would have an excuse to come in rage and attack the king of Israel again. And so he's freaked out. Um, He's freaked out. And if the king is afraid, what's the prophet going to say? This prophet that's in Samaria, right? That the the girl, I mean, this is going to cause a huge amount of trouble, right? What's the prophet going to say? Well, verse 8 tells us, But when Elisha, the man of God, that's the prophet, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he said to the king, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Elisha says, bring him on. Come on, I'm ready. Bring him on. Don't get scared, king. Send him my way and he will see that our God is powerful. So Elisha knows that God can cure Naaman of his leprosy. And somehow, Elisha knows that God will cure Naaman. And what this teaches us, this just gives us a quick lesson, that when people can't fix your problems, God can work when all hope is lost. So the king is at his wit's end because he's not thinking, he's not looking up. He's not God, but he knows God, and he knows a real God. He knows a God who's living and active, but somehow he's forgotten. Maybe you've forgotten God's promises to you today. Um, Now, to have this kind of confidence today, you have to know what God has promised and what he hasn't, right? We get confused sometimes because we think, well, wait, I read in the Bible, this guy had a problem, someone makes a promise, God's going to heal them. Well, so therefore, if I've got a problem, God will heal me too, right? And then you pray and you pray and you pray and you don't get healed and then all of a sudden you're in real spiritual turmoil because either God doesn't care or God can't help or, you know, or maybe this isn't the promise and then how do I read the Bible anymore, right? I mean, three choices, three depressing conclusions. Um, Well, we need to be careful as we read our Bibles, We need to be careful to study the Bible. We need to be careful to listen to people that know more and have studied more than we do. Um, Today, God doesn't promise that that we will experience physical healing in this life. But he does promise that we can experience his love and forgiveness. Okay? God does promise today to give us strength. He does promise today that he will work everything out in our lives for good if we love him. These are some of the promises of God. He promises today that he will join us to his family so that we'll be part of a community where you can bless other people and others can bless you. So verse 9 goes on. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. So God's requirements are simple. Go, wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be cured. He doesn't say, go climb a mountain 
and then I'll heal you. He doesn't say, change yourself morally, because I know the country you're coming from, and you need to change a lot, and then I'll heal you. He doesn't say that. He says, go, wash seven times. Trust me, and I will heal you. It's me, not the water, that heals. God makes it simple because God wants us and Naaman to know that this isn't something that we earn. Okay, God loves you before you fix yourself. Naaman, though, is not happy with this message from the prophet. Verse 11 says, But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could it not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away in a rage. So Naaman feels disrespected and he's angry. He's the second most powerful person in Syria, which was the most powerful nation on the earth at that time. And the prophet won't even come out to see him. He's not used to that kind of treatment. He's used to always getting his way. And he's mad because God isn't coming to Naaman on Naaman's terms. And when we think about it that way, it comes a little closer to home, doesn't it? I mean, people today, some of us today, still reject God and get frustrated and angry with him because he doesn't do what we want him to. He doesn't seem to be wanting to act in the way that we think he should act And sometimes in this sort of context, people think that believing in Jesus, just believing, is too easy. Right? Does it seem like God, doesn't it seem like God should require us to do something to earn his love, to earn his cleansing, to earn his forgiveness? But this isn't the Christian God. This is not the God of the Bible. And Naaman can't get there. He can't grasp this on his own. He actually needs help from others. So verse 13 says, But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? They're like, look, we see you're mad, but uh, like, didn't he just say that if you do this, it'll cure you? Like, isn't that why we're here? I mean, Naaman, I mean, since we're here anyways, I mean, hey, if he told you to do something really difficult, you probably would have done that, right? Well, so, come on, why don't we just do the easy thing and let's see what happens. I feel like this teaches us that sometimes we need other people to wake us up. Sometimes... Um, like we just can't get there, but somebody else can speak truth to us in ways that we're like, oh dang, yeah, duh. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Um, there's a logic in what the servants are saying, but Naaman is wrestling in his heart. Naaman probably thinks they sound ignorant and naive, right? And I think a lot of times as Christians, especially, we feel this way, don't we? Um, 
you're in a place where you don't say what you want to say because you're afraid it's going to sound like you're ignorant and naive. I know I feel this way. And Naaman's probably worried that doing this will make him look ignorant and naive. He's got a pride thing going on, right? I mean, he wants this to be true. He wants to be healed, but he doesn't want to look stupid. And so, do you see what's happening here? Like, I want you to see something, because this is profound. It's powerful. Because remember, one of these servants, at least, is the slave girl, right? She was from Israel. She has seen God do the impossible. And God's love has changed her and made her love even her enemies. And her life, I would say, is worse even than Naaman's with leprosy. But she tells him that he can trust God. She tells him, this is not ignorant, it's not naive. I know this God, and he will heal you. Susan Muncy said something else last night that was really profound. I gotta share this. She said this. She said, at Generate Hope, we focus not on the evil done to us, but on the good that God can bring out of this. when I look at this quote, when I think about this quote, I think, man, sometimes we need other people to wake us up, right? Like this is a woman who has been set free from sex trafficking, who is spending her, her, her days, her hours, her blood, sweat, and tears rescuing other women from being sex trafficked. And she has this to say. She says, we focus not on the evil done to us, but on the good that God can bring out of this. There are times when we are struggling, when the pain is excruciating, when the suffering feels hopeless and endless. And we know the promises of God sometimes, and it's hard to believe them. Sometimes we feel stupid going back to the same promises when it's been a month, when it's been a year, when it's been 10 years we struggle and we think, gosh, am I just an idiot? Am I just fooling myself? And we need people outside of ourselves to remind us these promises are true and that real faith is a waiting faith. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And so I think these servants are good models for Christians today because um, you don't have to convince anybody to believe in Jesus other people need to make their own decisions, they need to make up their own minds, but you just need to be honest that you believe when the time comes. You just need to be honest. Um, and sometimes you'll feel like it seems naive, but your faith is powerful. And when you articulate your faith, even when it's ridiculed, even when it's dismissed, it is the best form of persuasion. In Naaman's case, the prophet alone was not enough. It wasn't enough for the prophet to tell him to go down to the Jordan and bathe seven times. He needed his servants. He needed the testimony of people that were in his life. Man, the same is true here. The same is true today. Um, there are people who will come to church and they'll believe because of what they hear me say, but nine out of 10 people need to see your life. They need to see your faith lived out in front of them. I mean, again, that's the best form of persuasion. 
And so verse 14 goes on. So, again, because of his servants, he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Man, God did the impossible. Naaman trusts God, and he is healed. Friends, when we meet God on his terms, God comes through. We spend so much time trying to be smarter than God, wiser than God, and all God wants us to do is pick up the Bible in community with his people so we don't misunderstand it because it's sometimes hard to understand. Um, he just wants us to pick up the Bible in community and trust that it's true and live as though it's true. Live according to these promises. Hold on to them. And God will and does come true. Now, in our day and age, again, God doesn't always heal us physically, but God does promise to cleanse you spiritually. He does promise to forgive you of all of your sins and to bless you with his presence. So if you want to know why God doesn't help us physically today all the time, you got to come back because we're going to start a series next week that specifically addresses this question and tons of others. And so um, we'll get to that next week. So Naaman's response now shows that he's been changed, not just physically, but his heart has been changed toward God. Okay, verse 15 says, Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and he stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So now accept a present from your servant. But he, this is Elisha, said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. We all want to go to this church, right? When you try to give money and they say, No, 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 we don't want your money. Right? We all want this church. Um, we're not that church, sorry. <laughs> we need your money. Um, but, but, so, what happens, though, here is this is important. Um, this is important because what Elisha is saying, he's saying, no, 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 don't give. Just enjoy the free love of God. Like, that's the message here. Elisha is saying, look, you can't buy this. This is not for sale. This is a free gift. God doesn't want you to think of him as your vendor. He wants you to think of him as your father. Man, God doesn't want you to think that you bought your cleansing, Naaman. He doesn't want you to think you earned this. God is your father, and he wants a relationship with you. Now, Naaman's heart, then, is shown in his next words. And this might sound confusing, but I'll explain it. Verse 17, then Naaman said, look, if not, if you won't take my money, please then let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. So since you're not going to take my money, then give me your earth. Two mule loads full, please. <laughs> huh? Um, okay, this is because Naaman knows that God lives in Israel. And so he wants to bring Israel back with him to Syria. And so he says can I have two mule loads full of earth? So picture two carts being pulled by mules. Um, and he's going to use this earth to make bricks and turn them into an altar of earth. 
Here's a picture of it. So he's going to build an altar and sacrifice. He was going to make like sacrifices to God, sacrifices of gratitude, sacrifices of penance, sacrifices of cleansing to God, even though he's in Syria. So Naaman is now completely devoted to the one true God. Um, he loves the healer, not just the healing. Right? He's not just interested in the gift that God has given him, but he's interested in the giver and spending the rest of his life devoted to God. He loves the healer, but he's actually afraid to go back. He's afraid to go back to Syria because that's where his old life was. Can you relate to that? I mean, some of you are interested even in committing your life to Jesus today, but then you think, wait a second, how exactly is my life going to look if I commit to Jesus? I know that there's some stuff in my life that, uh, I just, uh, like, how can I go back to my life if I commit to Jesus? That's exactly how Naaman felt, okay? You know exactly how Naaman felt. Like, so Syria was a nation that was so full of false gods and corruption and materialism and sexual anarchy, and Naaman is terrified. He's like, how can I go back home and live for God? And he describes the worst case scenario um, that he's imagining going back to in verse 18. And he says this. I love the way he says this. He's like, in this manner, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there. So this was a pagan temple. Um, so he goes into the, the house to worship there, leaning on my arm. So we do this thing when he goes into worship this false god and this false temple uh, so he's leaning on my arm, and I myself bow in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this manner. Do you catch a little bit what he's saying? He's like, look, the king takes me into the house of another god to worship. I have to go in with the king. I'm the commander of his army. I mean, how? How can I go back to that life and live for God? because I can't not go in to the house of Ramon, but I can't go in because I love the God who cured me. What do I do? You feel it? Elijah's response is an amazing three words. Verse 19, Elisha said to him, go in peace. Huh? Wait, 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 Elisha, I don't think you heard what Naaman said. He's going to go back and do something bad. What did, you, what did you say again? Elisha said, go in peace. This is going to shake many of you boycotters. What, what's Elisha saying here? He's saying, well, he's saying going peace. I think what he's saying is he's saying God understands. Um, Elisha doesn't say, oh, we well, need to leave your military job. Elisha doesn't say, look, just don't go back home. Stay here and help me with my ministry. That's what you should do. No, he says, go in peace. I know you'll be in compromising situations. I know you're going to be asked to do things directly and indirectly sinful, including go into a false temple. 
But God says, I see your heart. I love you and I'm with you. And the fact that you're concerned about this means that you care more about me than you do about the world that you're going back into. Go in peace. Make a difference where you can and trust me to work where you can't. This is what the text says. Go in peace. Elisha gives him comfort in going home into this broken, messy situation. And I can see Naaman saying something back to Elisha that is probably what some of you are feeling right now. I can imagine Naaman replying and saying, are you sure? Like, really? Go in peace? You're telling me I can go back home and try to figure out how to live a life putting God first when no one else is? In the middle of that sinful culture? How is that possible? And I would imagine Elisha to respond and say, this is exactly what your slave girl has been doing for her entire life. Do you want to know how to do this? Look at her. She has had no power. She has had no voice. She has been stuck in a brutal life, but she has been living for God as best she can. And when the chance came, she spoke up and told you that God loves you and wants to work in your life. I love this. As challenging as it is for me who always wants to know the black and the white, I love this. And I love the fact that the slave is the example for the master. Right? The slave girl teaches the commander. This is Jesus turning the world upside down. He gives us strength, no matter how strong or how powerless we are. He is with us so that we can live for him in all of life. And so that we'll have the strength to share him with others when they are in need. And so, when you freak out in fear, remember the slave girl. Follow her example. Make a difference where you can and trust God to work where you can't. I think Jesus is pretty aware that we are going to live in crazy situations. And Jesus says, you're not always going to get it right but this is why I came and died and rose again. I died and rose again so that when you're not perfect, you'll know that you are forgiven and you have my peace. So we are a church that's a family that's trying to experience this peace in the mess of life. Um, our life groups meet during the week as chances for us to come together to talk and encourage each other so that we can together try to figure out how to go in peace. Events like AIDS Walk and 2020, uh, Grief Share, Women's Bible, all this stuff is designed for us to help, to help us learn and then to share what we're learning with our friends, our neighbors, our family members, at home, at work, in our communities. So join us. Join us. We're trying to find this peace that comes from God in the messiness of life. 
Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's not so hard. It's always an adventure. It's always an adventure, especially when Jesus is with us every step of the way. Come back next week and find out as we see how this peace changes us from the inside out. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this story. Thank you for the words of the prophet that speak to us and help us to at least to know that you know how hard life can be and that you give us your peace even when it's difficult. Thank you for accepting us and loving us even when we're not perfect. And Jesus, some of us want to commit ourselves to you. Some of us want to come to you, and so you draw near to us. Jesus, we have been living our lives without you. We want to come back and live for you. Thank you that we don't have to do something grandiose, but we simply need to confess our sins and trust that your death and resurrection is enough for us to be forgiven. Welcome us into your family. We pray this in your name. Amen.